Blog Talk Radio. Well, Mr. Obama's action 
is certain to anger the business lobby in Washington, which has long fought for the maximum flexibility for companies in paying overtime. In 2004, business groups persuaded President George W. Bush's administration to allow them greater latitude for exempting salaried white-collar employees from overtime pay, even as organized labor objected. And I remember talking about this on our show. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yep. Remember we brought that up and talked about it? Uh, this was back in '04. Well, conservatives criticized Mr. Obama's impending action. There's no such thing as a free lunch, said Daniel Mitchell, a fellow, a senior fellow with the Cato <coughs> Institute, who warned that employees might cut pay or use fewer workers. If they push through something to make a certain class of workers more expensive, something will happen to adjust. Uh, Mark Freeman the executive director of labor policy for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, said the nation's overtime regulations affect a wide, a very wide uh, cross-section of employers mm-hmm. and our members. If a, I expect that this is an area we will have very much engaged in, Mr. Friedman said. Mr. Obama's authority to act comes from his ability as president to revise the rules that carry out the Fair Labor Standards Act which Congress originally passed in 1938. Well, Mr. Bush and previous presidents used similar tactics at times to work around opponents in the Congress. The uh, proposed new regulation would increase the number of people who qualify for overtime and continue Mr. Obama's fight against what he says is a crisis of of economic inequality in the country. Well, changes to the uh, regulation will be subject to uh, public comment before final approval by the Labor Department, it is possible that strong opposition uh, could cause Mr. Obama to scale back his proposal. Well, Cecilia Monoz, uh, Munoz, the director of the White House Domestic Policy Council, said the effort was part of Mr. Obama's pledge to help workers thrive. We need to fix the system for uh, so workers working hard are getting compensated fairly, she said on Tuesday evening. That's why we are jump-starting this effort. I, I have a little thing here that I, it's also on overtime pay, right. but I wanted to uh, just insert. To, okay. It's kind of, you know, just a little more interesting. The current federal threshold <laughs> of $455 a week, or $23,660 per year, is ridiculously low. It is barely above the federal poverty level for a family of four. A White House official explained that overtime protections have eroded to such an extent that millions of workers who should not be denied overtime protection are being left unprotected. For example, a convenience store manager or a fast food ship supervisor or an office worker may be expected to work 50 or 60 hours a week or more making barely enough to keep a family out of poverty and not receive a dime of overtime. Vice President Ross Essenbury says, EPI Vice President Ross Essenbury says, many of the workers who would benefit from restored stored overtime protection are insurance clerks, secretaries, low-level managers, social workers, bookkeepers, dispatchers, sales and marketing assistants, and employees in a of other occupations. As the rules stand now, an assistant manager at a fast food restaurant 
who spends 95% of his or her time cooking fries, running a cash register, sweeping floors, and moving supplies into and out of the freezer, can be denied any overtime pay and works 60 or 70 hours a week if his salary is at least $23,660 a year. Because he, exempt, because he is exempt from overtime protection, the hourly rate of his salary can fall below the minimum wage. Minimum wage executives, in quotes, are excluded from minimum wage protection, too. He's an assistant manager. I don't know whether that makes him an executive. No. Um, uh, that's why they make a lot of these people at these uh, restaurants managers. Oh, they yeah. call them managers, and they don't have to pay them uh, overtime pay. protection, you know, overtime. Uh, I think the intent of the rule change is to make sure that people working overtime are fairly treated, he said. I think a potential side effect that you may see more hiring in order to avoid overtime costs, which would be an awfully good thing right about now. Well, Mr. Bernstein, now a senior fellow at the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, a liberal research group, and Mr. Eisenberg wrote a paper last year urging the, American, the administration to raise the salary thresholds for overtime to $984 a week. So if you make more than that, you're not eligible for overtime. But well, if you make if less than that... If you're making $50,000 a year... Well, that doesn't go very far family. No, it doesn't, but it, you know, it's a hell of a long way from $20,000 a year. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The study estimated that in any given week, 5 million workers earning more than a current threshold of 455 a week, less than 1000 a week, are likely to be exempted from overtime. Well, Bush... President Bush uh, raised the threshold to 455 in 2004. Well, Mr. Bernstein said, remember inflation has eroded this threshold a great deal over the years, so it's hard to see why it's unfair to make that adjustment. Well, White House officials said that the California employer uh, cannot, an employer cannot deny overtime pay to a salaried worker who makes less than $640 a week. In New York, the threshold is 600 a week. Uh, under uh, recently passed laws, the California threshold is set to rise to 800 per week in 2016. The New York threshold is 675. If a change to the overtime regulations are made, it will fall to the Labor Department's wage in our administrator to uh, put them into effect. That position has been vacant since Mr. Obama took office. Well, David Weil, a professor of the Boston University School of Management, the latest nominee for the post is waiting confirmation. All right, so that's what's going on right there, folks. It's pretty sick. It is pretty sick. I can understand. I don't like Obama, you know, running around with the executive orders, but I can sure understand why he's doing it when you, you know, based on uh, when you're dealing with these assholes in Congress. You know, want to keep everybody poor. You know? Yep. That's their goal. And working their fingers to the bone. Yeah, yeah, working 80, 90 hours a week in some cases. Like 20,000 years. That's pretty sick shit. That's slight wages. Obama picks rabid anti-gun advocate to be Surgeon General. Did we, did we, did we, did we went through this right yesterday, didn't we? What's that? The Attorney General thing. No. Didn't we play that? Which one? Yeah. 
Obama fixed grabbing anti-gun. Oh yeah, we yeah. talked about that. We talked about that. Oh, yeah. that was we were very upset about that. Oh yeah. And. Uh, oh, Paul Ryan and the politics. Yeah, yeah he would turn your stomach yeah, back. Yeah, Ryan and the politics that turn stomach. Uh, yeah. And, and I want to read something about Obama tries to protect taxpayers in Kenya. This is insane. I mean, everything's insane, folks. We just want to cry every time we do this show, but we keep doing it. It's hard to imagine conservative political ideology becoming so twisted that one of the standard bearers would step up to a podium and assert poor children are better off going hungry. Yeah, when Paul, Paul Ryan. Yeah, when Paul Ryan addressed the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, last week, he did just that, bashing progressives for pro- supporting federally funded school lunch programs. He accused those of us conforming uncomfortable with children going hungry of offering them a full belly and an empty soul. In service of this deeply troubling belief, he told a story about a boy getting a federally funded school lunch who asked for it in a brown paper bag like his classmates because that, according to Ryan, meant that he that they had parents who cared about them. Well, Paul Ryan, all right, political or politi- politics dictate that it's better for a child to go hungry than to get help. Paul, Paul Ryan's politics. Let me finish it. Paul Ryan's politics dictate that parents who rely on public assistance don't care about their children. And Paul Ryan's politics dictate that those who are down on their luck, even children, are soulless. Uh, not that these Wall Street bankers who crashed, who crashed our nation's economy and continue to crush the American middle class, necessitating such assistance in the first place. It speaks volumes that Ryan's CPAC story wasn't even true. The politician who was himself something of a serial server on his failed 2012 campaign, attributed this brown bag story to a political appointee of Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. Walker's appointee testified before Congress last year that she should uh, meet the boy in the story. She should have met the boy in the story. She met the boy in the story, which was a lie. She yanked the story out of a book. Here we have a quintessential quintessential conservative talking point. It pushes shameful policy. It conveys utter disdain for Americans who find themselves in need of help. And it's based on a lie. We don't have to dig too deeply to figure out why Paul Ryan would tell such a story at, a, at CPAC. The conference intended to fire up the ultra-conservative base. He needs the support of his ground troops for a proposed 24 House budget they can cut billions from federal programs that fight childhood hunger. That includes the proposed budget cut of $122 billion from the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, including $57 billion specifically allocated for children. Can you imagine what's yeah. wrong with this well, man? It was a red meat speech from the leader of a political moment. Hell bent on ensuring nothing is yeah. left on the bones for the poor and the middle class in our country. And for anyone who thinks these politicians will blink when it comes time to actually dump children from those nutritional programs, Ryan and his colleagues offer this. Last Try year, us. 
Last year, their federal sequester eliminated 750,000 mothers and children from the Women's Infant and Children uh, WIC program that provides baby formula for infants and food for children. And the last reauthorization of school meals only increased funds uh, for school meals by six cents, which isn't enough to keep pace with rising food costs and new requirements. Even worse, there was no increase for meals given to children in, in Head Start and child care programs. I don't need... I don't need statistics to tell me how perverse Ryan's politics of attacking children and their parents are. I know what it's like to live on the margins in this country. As a single mother making far too little as a home care provider, I once relied on federal assistance programs to help feed my children. And the members of my union asked me to work with children every day in schools, in daycares, in county and state programs. We see the effects of childhood hunger. We don't see children sent to school by parents who don't care about them. Unlike Ryan, we don't obsess about cutting government at all costs, even if it means children going hungry. We figure out how to make government work for everybody, not just the wealthy few. We see our own children, if we've ever relied on help to feed them, if we've been fortunate to never need such help. We see, and this would really be a stretch for politicians like Ryan, our neighbors' children, and act not out of our own self-interest, but out of the interests of the most vulnerable in our community. We see that a program that ensures children have full bellies and, in fact, the heart and soul of America on full display. To see otherwise is perverted politics. To see otherwise is soulless. He's a horrible man. I mean, what a, what a guy, this Paul Ryan. I mean, he thinks he's going to run for president? You know, I, I don't know. I, I just, it's just amazing to me that the kind of people that, are, that, that think they can call, they're running. I mean, the people that are, that are actually, oh, yeah. And he, he was a vice presidential candidate last, last time. Yes, Romney. great. Jesus, God almighty. Can you imagine what kind of a nightmare that would have been? Obama moves to protect taxpayers in Kenya. Imagine that. Hmm. I, I mean, we're going both ways, folks. We had Obama, we had Republicans, Democrats, we had them all, you know. And it's like we don't see any any hope in anything, except maybe the unions. We hope the unions at least will fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight, you know. But you know, we don't see much hope for anybody else, you know, to do anything. The Obama administration is infusing millions of additional dollars into the stabilization and strengthening of county governments across Kenya to protect taxpayers there by having Americans foot in the bill. Foot the bill. Yeah. Without, Without opening, opening the, the endeavor ahead of sitting, the U.S. Agency for yeah. International <laughs> Development simply changed the terms of an existing Kenya aid program and put more money into it. Kenyans had been facing additional financial costs for their own local governments before the agency extended the contract by assigning new responsibilities to Development Alternatives Incorporated. But the change by USAID means that Americans, not Kenyans, will be on the hook for an additional $4.5 million for the financial inclusion for rural Microenterprises micro or firm or firm project. The cost includes approximately three million in technical assistance that firm would provide 
which the individual countries would be forced to incur without the extension. The agency said in justification or approval for limiting sources documents that the WND obtained through routine database search. Remember, this is where he's from. You the know, approach follows the fact of heightened U.S. involvement in the Kenyan affairs that WND began exposing in 2012 when U.S. aid self-described exponential growth in its Kenyan aid portfolio was discovered. Follow-up coverage likewise exposed the U.S. aid scheme to methodically sway global media to report favorably on agency activities. The WND investigation additionally discovered a cover-up of the activity. Days after the report, the government eliminated all traces of the propaganda plan documents from a publicly accessible database. So, yeah. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going. I mean, why in the hell are we are we funding Kenya? Huh? I mean, we. Good thought. Yeah, you know, these guys are all frightened about. Oh, we don't have any money. You know. Well, we don't want to uh, feed our children. Uh, but it's okay to support Kenya. Huh? Well, let's let's get up on that subject and go to one that we've one of our uh, bone of contentions here. Arab League rejects Israel as a Jewish state. They agree with them. I don't think they should accept them as a Jewish state. The Arab League has backed Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas' uh, rejection of Israel as a Jewish state as U.S.-backed negotiations approach a deadline next month. League Chief Nabil Al-Arbi uh, called on Arab countries to take a firm stand against Israel's demands, calling it a deviation from an agreed-upon framework for peace talks. Well, El Arabi uh, delivers his remarks on Sunday as Arab foreign ministers extend their support for the Palestinian leadership at a meeting in Cairo. The Council, he states that the Council of the Arab League confirms its support for the Palestinian leadership in its effort to end the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian lands and emphasizes its uh, rejection of recognizing Israel as a Jewish state. Arab foreign ministers said in a statement in Cairo. Well, good for them. I'm surprised that I'm glad that they at least got together on that. Abbas has earlier complained that Palestinians were being asked to something that had not been demanded of Arab countries that have previously signed peace treaties with Israel. We recognize Israel in, recon in mutual recognition of the Oslo Agreement. We do not, we do uh, why do they ask us to recognize the Jewishness of the state, he asked. Why didn't they present the demand to Jordan or Egypt when they signed the peace agreement with them, Abbas added. Um, Israel demands. Palestinians fear the demand is an attempt to restrict possible return options for Palestinian refugees and will return to discrimination against Israeli Israel's uh, sizable Arab minority. Well, they're already discriminating the hell out of them, and they're already rejecting them to the right of return. Well, while Israelis say it recognizes Jewish history and rights on the land and will signal, signal the Palestinians a series about peace, well, their Jewish history is bullshit. These guys are all from from uh, these guys are Jewish. They're they're uh, Cathars. They're they're all from uh, Europe. You yeah. know. These guys, they're, 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 not they're, less, they're less than 5% Semites in Palestine. 
less than 5%. And those are Palestinians. And those, yeah, exactly. All right. And Benjamin Netanyahu uh, has been pushing a, a make a recognition of Israel as a state uh, a requirement for peace, overshadowing borders, refugees, and stat, stat, statues of Jerusalem. Uh, in Tuesday, Netanyahu told Israeli lobby group APAC, in recognizing the Jewish state, you, Palestinians, would finally make clear that you are truly prepared to end the conflict. So recognize the Jewish state, no excuses, no delays, he says. <laughs> El Arabi de- described the demand as an Israeli attempt to foil the talks, calling for a reevaluation of the negotiation track. Well, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry has been hoping to get the two sides to agree on some general points, including the Jewish state, and a rough understanding on borders. Well, Kerry is a Jew, so he doesn't give a damn. All right. Kerry wants Abbas to make concessions as, as part of efforts to reach a framework agreement and could lead to the pro- prolongation of the talks, which have achieved little since they began several months, seven months ago. So there you go. I mean, you got Kerry is nothing but a piece of shit. All right. And, uh, you know. Here's something fair. interesting. Just On Wednesday... Media Matters for America launched a new website, Mythopedia, oh. that presents rebuttals to common right-wing lies and distortions mm-hmm. in a way that anyone can, can understand, including a section on spin and lies about unions. The site is searchable and simple to use in multiple formats, including desktops, smartphones, or tablets, and will be frequently updated. So should we go to this little... Yeah. See what, Welcome to Mythopedia. Mythopedia is a project of Media Matters. Sorry, folks. Sorry, bro. Obamacare. 
And there you go, a list of both lies and truths. If you want to explore one of these further, simply click See Entry, and voila, you're taken to a page that contains both the lie and the truth, as well as a more in-depth rebuttal with citations to back it up. You can also click on a tag to see other myths about the same subject. If you didn't see what you're looking for, go back to the search bar and try broadening your search, like healthcare. And as you can see here, you have even more lies to choose from. Also, you can always click here on full list to browse through all of the lies. Finally, you can even use Mythopedia on the go through smartphone or tablet. Not only does it have all the same great features of the website, but it also allows you to search by voice command. So the next time you're confronted with a conservative lie, get the truth. Yeah, 
Colorado collected over what? Two million dollars in the first month or two. Of, um, I thought this was interesting. I wanted to ask me as a in New York opposes race to the bottom budget. Nearly 1,500 AFSCME members from across New York recently converged on the state capitol to oppose Governor Andrew Cuomo's race to the bottom budget that benefits the wealthiest 1% at the expense of working families. Members of all six AFSCME New York unions, District Councils 35, 37, 66, 82, 1707, and CC. Local 1000 called on state assembly members and senators to protect vital services while opposing tax cuts that would benefit the wealthy in a state that already has the worst income equality in the nation. Workers told legislators the proposals outlined in the Governor Cuomo's Race to the Bottom budget would benefit only the wealthiest 200 New Yorkers and lead to significant reductions in funding for vital services like local schools, roads and bridge maintenance, police and fire departments, among others. In the last four years, municipalities and school districts cut more than 90,000 public sector jobs, including teachers, bus aides, police officers, firefighters, snowplow drivers, and other vital services. The governor's proposed elimination of the bank tax would mean hundreds of millions of dollars in additional tax cuts for Wall Street bankers who enjoy the lowest corporate franchise tax since 1968. So you know, guys. Yes, let, let, you know, Coma, why do you why do you elect guys like this? Well, they maybe didn't know he was like that when they uh, elected him. You know, he's a uh, creep. Oh, it's also really sick to come back. Uh, I, I got. You know what? I feel like going to a break. You feel like going to yeah, a go break? Yeah, go to a break. I'm getting, I'm getting disgusted. So we're gonna go to a little break here, and um, we'll be back in a few minutes. So listen to our happy song. <laughs>
go for it. What people think, people think it's the teenagers who are getting paid the minimum wage. The reality is the average age is 35 years old. Um, they think it's a teenager who works part-time after school, lives with his parents, and is earning a little extra money. As I said, the reality is the average age of a minimum wage worker is 35 years old. 88% are not teens. They're 20 or older. 36% are 40 or older. 56% are women. 28% have children. 55% work full-time. On average, they earn half of the family's total income. So, yeah, that's the comparison there. While the Democrats in Congress and the President are attempting to raise the national minimum wage to $10.10 per hour, there is still pretty strong opposition to raising the wage from pro-corporate extremists on the far right. But as more and more evidence is gathered concerning the minimum wage and its effect on workers, it's harder and harder to sustain any belief other than the wage should be raised. Not only is it the morally correct thing to do, it has positive effects on the economy. Here are six reasons why everyone, including so conservatives, should support raising the minimum wage. One, raising the minimum wage to $10.10 .10 by 2016 will benefit millions of workers, even accepting conservatives' estimates. This would be an unambiguously good thing for workers, raising, wa raising wages directly for 16.5 million workers. That's a good thing. Raising the minimum wage will also reduce the budget deficit. Raising the minimum wage to $10.10, .10, according to the Center for American Progress, would cut spending on food stamps by $4.6 million billion a year. On the current minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, no state, in no state can a minimum wage worker afford a two-bedroom apartment at fair market rent. That's important to realize. The conservative claim that raising the minimum wage kills jobs is not backed by any evidence. The controversial estimates that raising minimum wage could reduce employment by 500,000 does not reflect the current consensus view of economists. A final argument used to discourage people from supporting the minimum wage increase is that companies will pass along costs to consumers, which would offset the increased wages that those earning the minimum wage would get. However, even by conservative estimates, raising the minimum wage would increase inflation-adjusted wages for lower and middle-income families uh, by $17 billion, and that's even if you factor in the controversial assumption of 500,000 fewer jobs. So. I read something the other day that uh, Walmart, if Walmart raised everybody to the minimum wage of $10.10 .10 an hour, right? Oh, here's one. It would mean it would mean uh, like the the cost of uh, any of their products would be a, would be one penny. Well, they're quoting this. In addition, several recent studies to sell this idea of thing, uh, things. One found. Can you turn that? One found that if Walmart workers were paid a minimum wage of $20. 
$12 an hour, it would raise costs for the average customer only 46 cents a trip, or about $12 a year. Another study found that in increasing the minimum wage to $10.50 an hour would lead to a 10 cent increase in the cost of a Big Mac. What the people who make this argument don't seem to take into account is that any of the company's customer base is much larger than its staff. And even if it's 100% of the increased costs to pass on to customers, those increases will be highly dispersed among the much larger customer pool. So it would raise, it, raise your cost about $12 a year at Walmart. We usually try to um, uh, upbeat, because it's upbeat. We try to bring you a little bit of environmental news on tonight's show, uh, but health and environmental. And uh, I have an article here that's uh, kind of interesting because um, it shows that science confirms turmeric as effective as 14 drugs. Yeah, can you imagine that, folks? No. Yeah. Turmeric, which is like uh, curry, you know, and curry, or cumin. Uh, is a great drug. Right. Turmeric is one of the most thoroughly researched plants in existence today. Its medicinal properties and components, primarily uh, curcumin, have been the subject of more than 5,600 peer-reviewed and published biomedical uh, studies. Wow. Yeah. In fact, our five-year-long research project on this sacred plant has revealed over 600 potential preventative therapeutic applications, as well as 175 distinct beneficial site physiological effects. This entire database of 1,585 uh, 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 hyperlinked turmeric abstracts have been downloaded as a PDF for our downloadable turmeric document page. And you can go to this by going to greenmed.com. Uh, uh, and acquired either as a retail item or 200 GMI token for those of you who are already our members and receive them automatically each month. However, turmeric is getting a lot of attention given the sheer density of research performed in this remarkable spice. It is no wonder that a growing number of studies have concluded that it compares favorably to a variety of conventional drugs. All right including Lipitor, all right, uh, uh, cortis steroid medications, uh, Prozac, okay, for antidepressants, aspirin, uh, anti-inflammatory drugs, uh, oxalopate chemotherapy drug, okay, uh, metformin, is a diabetes drug, right, and more and more and more and more. It's very studies in cancer treatment and so on and so forth. But I'm going to play you this little... Uh, this little video, uh, audio, okay, and it's called Turmeric, StopTheRobbery.com, Cancer Cure. Wow. Yeah, interesting. By Christian Wilde. Would you say that this is the uh, the wonder supplement of all time? I would.
cumin, also known as curcumin, is better known as the Indian spice that is contained in curries. But it has received a lot of airtime over the last couple of years and quickly risen to become one of the most valuable new nutritional supplements on the market. And this is due to all the research which continues to churn out lots of data showing that cumin has tremendous health-promoting abilities. And I want to read something from a publication that, uh, when I first read it, totally blew my mind, and, and then I want to comment on it a little bit. At this writing, Medline contains 193 articles on turmeric and curcuminoids. Of interest are 16 articles on these compounds as antioxidants, 34 reports on their role against cancer, 23 on their mechanism if in reducing inflammation, five scientific articles on their potential to reduce heart disease, and three studies on slowing the progression of HIV infection to clinical AIDS. Now, I don't know of anything else on the market that is covering that much ground. That, that's just amazing to me that, that curcumin could affect so many different properties in the body. I mean, that's something that should be like on the cover of time and on your evening news. There should be, there should be like a public announcement on television telling you about the benefits of curcumin. Teamwork, a spice that can be found in many curries, is showing promise in the prevention of diabetes. Researchers have found that mice that were fed turmeric were less susceptible to developing type 2 diabetes and also showed reduced inflammation in fat tissue and liver compared to untreated mice. Turmeric is also being studied as a potential treatment for pancreatic cancer, colorectal cancer, and Alzheimer's. Every lady out there would be interested to know about breast cancer. Take one million women in America, 660 out of a million will get breast cancer and 160 will not survive. But in India, only 79 out of a million get it, and there's 41 deaths compared to 160. And then when you look at prostate cancer, the statistics for men are, are about as dramatic. There are 30 pathways to cancer, inflammatory pathways. He says turmeric is able to stop and inhibit all 30 pathways. All of them. I said, how does it do it? He said, well, primarily, turmeric shuts off cancer switches. It shuts down nuclear factor kappa B and STAT3. Those are the two main sources of, of inflammation that leads to cancer. We live in a culture of inflammation. You know, we have uh, arthritis and bursitis and colitis and tendonitis. Itis means inflammation, so these are all inflammatory conditions. So we could probably talk a little bit about the root cause of some of those inflammatory problems, and it probably comes down to diet, lifestyle, um, lack of proper foods, especially eating uh, inflammatory foods, and, and also lack of exercise. But as far as something that could really be a nice supplement to um, talking about the proper diet and exercise um, for an anti-inflammatory protocol, it would definitely be uh, curcumin. And arthritis, it's great. You see, it's also a COX-2 inhibitor. And for arthritis, it's fantastic. Uh, in doing my research, I find out that the pharmaceutical companies, there's your big pharma, has been trying to get the FDA to change the classification for decades on turmeric so that they could make call it as a drug, and then they could manufacture it and sell it to us as a drug. 
And uh, lo and behold, the FDA, give one to the FDA, they turned them down. They said it's a spice, it's been a spice for 4,000 or whatever years, and it's got a history, and we're not going to change the classification. If they could have gotten it, I'm sure by now they would be touting it as the biggest potential cure for cancer and all the different cancers, brain cancers, everything. I just had a, uh, a package delivered by UPS about an hour and a half ago with a, a special kind of turmeric because I found out that 66% of turmeric is lost in the feces and in the urine.
process it, cook it, freeze it, and repack it, transport it back to the port, and ship it another 7,000 miles. I don't know how anyone could make a profit doing that. Yet a similar process is already being used for U.S. seafood. According to the Seattle Times, domestically caught Pacific salmon and Dunganess crab are being processed in China and shipped back to the U.S. because of significant cost savings. There are 36 pin bones in salmon, and the best way to remove them is by hand, said Charles Bundarant, founder of the Trident, which ships about 30 million pounds of its 1.2 billion pound annual harvest to China for processing. Something that would cost us a dollar per pound of labor here, they get it done for 20 cents in China. Bureau of Labor Statistics data estimates that American poultry processors are paid roughly $11 per hour on average. In China, reports have circulated that this country's chicken workers can earn significantly less, $1 to $2 per hour, which casts doubt on super's economic feasibility assessment. China's food safety system, which has said to be decades behind America's, is highly questionable given some of the more recent food safety scandals that have surfaced in the country. More than 300,000 Chinese children have suffered illness, and several have died from melanin-tainted milk powder. Uh-huh. Dangerously high levels of mercury have been found in Chinese baby formula, and more than a million uh, dollars worth of rat and other small mammal meat has been sold to Chinese consumers as lamb. Oh, uh-huh. my God. Food safety uh, news uh, aims to spread awareness of the, of the pending USDA uh, agreement and stop Chinese processed chicken from ever reaching supermarkets. I wonder if that's part of that TPP. Oh, I don't know. Uh, that TPP is so bad. I wonder if it's part of that. We're getting screwed all around by that, and that's, yeah, that's yeah, going yeah. into effect soon. Yeah. Well, I got something here on And that's the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, I got something on this, I think. Uh, I've been so upset that the... That the uh, Unions haven't, haven't talked about this, you know. It's been not enough. No. Or are they not getting any voice to it? They're not giving any voice to it, by the way, which is sad. They might have talked about it a lot, but with no why. luck. Yeah, I mean, Larry that. talked about it as being very bad yeah. for American workers. It is, it is but, I mean, uh, we, haven't, we haven't learned anything from the ASME group on it. I haven't seen anything published on it. There was something on the AFL-CIO blog. That's where I read about this. TPP, well, I got times. it. I got it from the Russian television for kind of Well, I got, got it. got it. I got it from the blog here. Well, what did they say about it? Well, that was about three weeks ago. Oh, well, nothing new about it. That's what bothers me. Well, it was being. It's, I I think it was fast tracked in Congress. It was. It was. I think I just. I'm not sure. I thought I could have sworn I just read something about it today. I thought I was going to put it up, but I guess I didn't. Uh, maybe I didn't believe it. Now, Boeing just announced that to cut costs, it, Boeing, everybody knows they make uh, uh, ship uh, aircraft, uh, just announced that to cut costs, it will end pensions for its 68,000 non-union employees. Pensions for their union employees are safe so far. Huh. But I'm sharing this in case 
you need proof that unions are needed to defend workers. Um, yeah. There's demonews.org. Publish that. Amazing, huh? Is it scary? Yeah, it, it really is. You know, you know I don't know how, you, how many of you feel this is. Hey, how many believe in amnesty and all this kind of crap? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, you know, and this is one of the reasons I don't. Illegal aliens, non-citizens, caught voting in Florida in vast numbers, right? There's a, there's a, a little blend with this. There's a little video here. Let's go to that. It could be very serious. It could change the whole complexion of the whole election. Two election supervisors take action tonight after an NBC2 investigation uncovers flawed record-keeping and human error allowing people who are not citizens of the United States to vote. NBC2 investigator Andy Ferrati has been working on this story now for more than two months. He joins us live from the Lee County Election Center. Andy? Well, Len Lindsay, we don't know how widespread this problem is because elections offices don't keep track of where non-citizens live. So we decided to do something that they never tried to do before, and we found them on our own. Have you voted before? Right. I vote every year. Pinaco Danette is not a U.S. citizen, yet the Cape Coral resident is registered to vote. Do you know that you're not supposed to vote if you're not a U.S. citizen? NBC2 found Danette after reviewing her jury excusal form. She told the clerk of court she couldn't serve because she wasn't a U.S. citizen. But we found her name and nearly 100 others like her in the database of Florida registered voters. You have no idea why you're registered to vote. I have no idea. I mean, how am I supposed to know? Go through those driver's license facilities or anything. I don't know. This Naples woman didn't want to show her face. While she doesn't know how she was registered, she does know how to vote. Records show she voted six times in elections dating back 11 years. I know you cannot vote before you become a citizen, so I never tried to do anything like that. Samuel Lincoln is not a U.S. citizen either. The Jamaican national says he doesn't know how he ended up registered to vote. So this is all a big mistake. Hmm. So it's not their mistake, that's not mine. But we obtained a copy of his 2007 voter registration application. It's clearly marked U.S. citizen. And that is under oath, uh, that document. They're attesting that it is, in fact, true. And by falsifying it, it's a third-degree felony. County supervisors of elections tell me they have no way to verify citizenship. Under the 1992 Motor Voter Law, they're not required to ask for proof. We have no policing authority. We don't have any way of bouncing that information off of any other database that would give us that information. Does that need to change? Um, I think it needs to be looked at. Until that happens, the only way supervisors of elections can investigate voter fraud is if they get a tip. It looks like these individuals lied on your documents. So that's what our list became. After showing them nearly 100 names we compiled, both elections offices sent letters to each voter asking them to verify citizenship. It could be very serious. It could change the whole complexion of an election. It's important to note that we don't know whether they were here legally or not, only that they're not U.S. citizens. It takes 30 days. They have 30 days to respond to those letters to verify their citizenship. If they don't, they'll be taken off the voter roll. Back to you.
Hey, a quick question for you. We know in Florida all too well that it can only take one vote, and that can make a difference. But are the supervisors changing their policies to make sure that the people who are not allowed to vote, that they don't vote? Based on our investigation, both elections offices plan to request jury excusal forms from clerk of courts every single time they get one that says not U.S. citizen. They'll basically do what we did. They'll take those names and they'll compare those names with people registered to vote in Florida. Live in Fort Myers, Andy Perotti, NBC2.
is that 